step here, fall back. When there's no one behind you that you can see. I want to talk to you this morning about trust. We talk to you about trust. I think trust is the cornerstone of every relationship. And I want to spend a little bit talking to you about trusting in the Lord. Will you join me as we pray? God, thank you for today. Thank you for an opportunity to grow in you. Thank you for an opportunity to, Lord, not be left where we've always been, but you always give us an opportunity to choose to grow up. We don't have to choose to grow older, but we do get to choose to grow up. So help us this morning to take a step in that journey. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in week, five, or week two of a five-week series entitled Take Note of This, where we've been talking about Jesus being more than just a footnote in our life. I think oftentimes Jesus becomes this ancillary word at the bottom of a page that we just reference in our life. You know what a footnote is, right? It's just that thing that sits down there and, and somehow you reference in your life. And it's, it's like you saying, hey, Lance is a Christian and he goes to church and he does some pretty good things. Footnote, by the way, he really loves Jesus. See, oftentimes that little part of you becomes this, well, we don't necessarily need to put that in the full body of the story. We just want to reference that. See, I wonder sometimes if Jesus is just a footnote in our life when Jesus is supposed to be the main body of the story. See, Jesus should be the journey. He should be the story. He should be the subject line. <laughs> but oftentimes, he just becomes this little teeny part of our lives that we reference down somewhere in the bottom of our life. Oh, yeah, 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 she was a Christian. She really did say she loved God, and it shows up. What if Jesus was more than a footnote in your life? What if Jesus was the main story of your life? Take note of this is a, a study in the book of Colossians. If you have your Bibles, if you can open up to the book of Colossians. Colossians. Why the book of Colossians? I want to choose the book of Colossians because I believe that Colossians is really what I believe is the most Christ-centric book in all of the Bible. All 66 books. If you want to hear about Jesus, you want to spend some time in Colossians. Because there's a lot about Jesus there, about who he is and who it is that we think he is and who it is that he's supposed to be that we think he isn't. I, I want to take some time in Colossians. There's no way we can finish the book in five weeks, but I just want to spend a little time unpacking something about Jesus. Something about Jesus not being a, an ancillary quote at the bottom of a page of your life, but being the main subject of your life. Just Jesus. Man, if there's something we need in our world more than anything else is we need Jesus. Somebody say amen. It's the truth, right? We need Jesus because we live in a world that sometimes is not even a footnote. Sometimes Jesus is an endnote. Just kind of at the end of the book and there's just a list of credits and he's one of many. I chose the book of Colossians because I want to get us back to Jesus. I want to get us back to thinking he's the most important thing. Not, 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 not a most important thing in a list of important things, but the most important thing. You've heard me say this before, right? That Jesus doesn't want to be number one in your life. Jesus wants to be the only one in your life. Because if he's the only one in your life, then there's not a number two and a number three and a number four. He's just what you live through. It means you're a, you're a Christian employee, you're a Christian father, you're a Christian mother, you're a Christian whatever you are, auntie, uncle. And you're not just going to be, well, I'm an uncle or an auntie, and then I should probably let them know I'm a Christian. What if he's the main subject of your life? 
See, the book of Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul, not Ball, the Apostle Paul in 61 AD. Paul writes this from a Roman prison cell to a guy named Epaphras. Epaphras is the pastor of the church of Colossae, about a thousand miles away. Now, in Colossae at this time, there were all kinds of things that were happening. Mainly, people were, people were allowing Jesus to become a footnote in their life. There's a bunch of people. We don't know how the church of Colossae got started, but chances are likely Epaphras came to know Paul. Paul I'm assuming Paul led him to Christ, and he came home and planted a church in his hometown. I think what happened was, is that Paul, as Epaphras starts this young church on the truth of who Jesus is and all the wonderful things, what, what happened was, is after a while, people were thinking, okay, Jesus is great and all, but, but if I had Jesus, but I spent time uh, in, in worship, then, then that would be even better. If I spent 10 minutes in worship, that would be good. But if I spent 20 minutes in worship, that'd be even better. If I spent 40 minutes or 50 minutes or a day and a half, or if I, if I dressed myself in sackcloth and, and, and I, I walked around all kind of humble and, and quiet and, and I just showed people how super religious I was, that would be even better because God would be super happy with my piety. See, what was going on in the Colossian church was is the people were trying to become super Christians, but they were doing it with all of the religious activity. <laughs> they were, you know, I read my Bible. Yeah, well, I read my Bible. You know, I pray. Yeah, well, I pray. <laughs> you know, I, I pray for an hour. I, I pray for 40 minutes. I, I pray for 24 hours at a time. That's what I do nonstop. Right? So what happened was is these people were, were going on, and they were bragging about what they got going, and, and they were saying, you know, hey, I, if, if it's good to worship Jesus, then it's also good to worship angels. And, and, and you know what? If you're going to watch what you eat, you know, God knows that you, your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit, then you should feed it good. And so I eat only good, healthy stuff because... Their body, their, everything that they were doing was all about them, but they were saying that it was all for God. Aren't you glad we're not like that? The book of Colossians was written to us. The book of Colossians, this message of the book of Colossians is to us. Church, we need to get back to Jesus. We need to get back to Jesus and not, and not do like they did, hoping that somehow their jumping jacks and cartwheels would make God happy. Let me tell you, there's nothing that you can do to make God more happy than simply surrendering your life to him and then breathing and blinking all by yourself. Amen. He's not impressed with our stuff. He just happens to love that you love him and he loves you. I love that. Hmm. Colossians. Colossians chapter, well, let me tell you this. I love the fact that Paul, as he addresses the heresy that was going on in the Colossian church, I love what Paul doesn't do. Paul doesn't call out all the wrong things. Paul doesn't jump up and say, okay, here's all, every single wrong thing. He just simply says a blanket statement. And some of you got some crazy stuff going on. You're worshiping angels, eating weird stuff, and celebrating goofy festivals. Stop. I love the fact that he doesn't call out personal people. He just says, all the weird stuff you're doing, stop it. Get back to Jesus. Wouldn't it be good... Wouldn't it be good if we did that? Like, wouldn't it be good if we didn't just sit back and tell the world how wrong they are or how confused the church is or how crazy it is that you're doing that thing and, and trying to impress each what, what would you do if, like, a whole church just decided, you know what, we're not pointing fingers. We're just going to get back to Jesus. What if, a whole, what if Christians did that? And we didn't point out all the faults all around us, but we just ran after Jesus. Something tells me the faults that are all around us would reveal themselves all by themselves. And Jesus would get the glory and you would find peace 
instead of posting it on Facebook. Yikes. Yikes. Here we go. Colossians chapter 1. By the way, I don't have a Facebook page. It's awesome. This is the most freeing thing I ever did. I deleted my Facebook account about a year ago. Shandala. By the way, sorry. Find freedom, sister, brother. Come on. Here we go. Join me. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 says this. We look, by the way, I'm reading out of the, uh, the message translation. And again, it's not the best. It's not the greatest. It's just a translation. I love it because it's a transliteration. It's more of a paraphrase. It's, it's just saying what the Bible's trying to say. But it uses language that we're not used to seeing. So it might sound a little different to you. By the way, if you're reading your Bible, every now and again, switch the translation up a little bit and kind of challenge yourself. Because sometimes you're reading the Bible and you just kind of quote the things that are coming. Good for you. But switch it up a little bit and see that you might find something different in it. I certainly did. Here's what it said in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 in the message translation. It says, We look at his son and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at his son and we see the God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels. Everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and he holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, mm -hmm, he organizes that and holds it together too, like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning. And leading the resurrection parade, he will be supreme in the end. From beginning to end, there he's there, towering far above everyone. I love this. Paul just goes, listen, guys, it's Jesus. Let me tell you a little about Jesus. He He's what it's about. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's there. I love it. Paul just, he just jumps right in and says, you want to know all about Jesus? Before creation, Jesus. You know where everything finds its purpose? Every tree, every molecule, every star, every, it all fish, every finds itself its purpose in Christ. Everything. I love it. Paul just goes, everything. If you ever wonder if every, anything, everything. You too. You want to find your purpose in life? It's in Christ. Your purpose is in Christ. Your purpose, listen, your purpose is not in your career. I promise you. Your purpose isn't in what you do. Your purpose is in who you are. It's what you do plays out of who you are. And sometimes we spend way too much time trying to figure out what we're supposed to do instead of developing who it is that we are. Because when you develop who it is that you are, what you do will just show up. But can you see where we put our emphasis? Let's go on. Down to verse 28. No, I'm sorry, uh, down to 21. I love this. Paul, as he's addressing the rest of the Colossians, after he just gets done talking about Jesus, now he's going to point out some things. And he says in verse 21, you yourselves are a case study of what it is that Jesus does. At one time, you all had your backs turned to God, thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble at every chance you got. But now, by giving himself completely on the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to his side and put your lives together whole and holy in his presence. And you don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded, steady in the bond of trust, constantly tuned into the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There's no other message, just this one. Every creature under heaven gets its same message. I, Paul, am a messenger of this message. I, I love what Paul writes here because he's really trying to tell the Colossian church to get back to Jesus. 
In this last little passage, he tells them four things that they need to do to get back to Jesus. He says, guys, listen, let this be the emphasis of what you do. Get grounded, he says, in your faith. Because he says, you need to do is you need to get back to being grounded in him. Get grounded in your faith. And he says, build up the bond of trust. And he also says, listen, don't forget, but focus on the message, the simple message. And he goes into these four things. And he tells them, and the fourth thing he says, be careful not to be distracted. I love this. He simply starts out by saying, if you're going to walk out this Jesus calling, this thing, this purpose that he has in life, the first thing you do, like we talked about last week, was to be grounded. If you weren't here last week, go listen to it online. We talked about being grounded. What does it mean to be grounded in him? Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's so many things that, somehow we're so impressed with what it is that we can come up with. And, you know, I could, I could create a whole sermon series on being grounded in the faith. We could create a whole, a whole season. We could create a whole theme around it, being grounded in the faith. And most of us would applaud and say, yes, that's all right. It's awesome. But I love what Paul did. Paul said, listen, be grounded. Let me tell you how simple it is. Now listen to this next couple of verses. He says this in Colossians 1.28. It says, we preach Christ, warning people not to add to the message. We teach people, we teach in a spirit of profound common sense so that, no, so that we can bring a person to maturity. Say it again. We teach in a spirit of profound common sense so that we can bring each person to maturity. To be mature is to be basic. Christ, no more, no less. That, that last little sentence or two kind of freaks you out, doesn't it? To be mature is to be basic. Everything inside of us, even as Christians, want to say, man, what else? You know, yeah, I get that and all, but like really. To be mature is to be a super reader of your Bible. To be mature is to be like a super prayer. To be mature is like to be super evangelist. To be mature is to be like, you know, basic. That's what he says. To be mature is to be basic. See, he didn't intend it to be so big and weird, but we do. We make it big and weird, and we give these qualifications for people to find and live up to, and if they do, then we'll call them mature. And if they use really big words, then somehow that's going to make them even better. And somehow we allow that whole idea of figuring out what Shekinah means or what the anointing means or all that stuff that's awesome and in the Bible, we lob it out to each other in hopes that you'll think we're really, well, mature. What if the basic fundamental truth was, I love Jesus and I forgive you and I love you and I'm serving you? And what if to be mature was just to be basic instead of being mature is trying to flip cartwheels in front of each other and make each other really impressed? But that's what we do. Paul tells them, get back to just being basic. Be grounded in the faith. Be grounded in the faith. Set time to read your Bible. Set time to serve in your church. Set time to love your neighbor. Make a decision to trust God in your finances. He says, listen, to be mature is to be basic. Just do basic. And somehow each of us are kind of like, yeah, 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 what else? Because the what else is what we really want. We don't want to take the 101 class. We want the 301 class or the 500 class, whatever we want. We want something else, right? We want something more because then we can put the, you know, the gold star in our refrigerator in heaven. Hopes that some guy, come on now. What if maturity was just about being basic and, and doing the next right thing? What if that was maturity and the next right thing was to love your neighbor as yourself and, and to forgive the person who hurts you most? Doesn't mean you got to be their friend. Remember, forgiveness happens at a, at a moment in time. 
Forgiveness might take a while. Come on. Forgiveness, right? Here we go. I love this. To be mature is to be basic. Well, this week, I want to spend the last few minutes talking to you about what the next thing was, which was trust. I love what Paul said. He says, remain steady in the bond of trust. Remain steady in the bond of trust. What is trust? But what is trust? We heard Pastor Omar come up here and receive our tithes, and he said, hey, let's trust God with our money and stuff and our things. And, and most of us are used to hearing that around here because we'll lob that out there. But I just kind of took some time and said, no, really, God, what is trust? What's the anatomy of trust? What is it if we were to cut trust open? Like, what does it really look like? And I think it's important that we understand what it is because I think trust and hope and faith all kind of have a similar lean towards them. But what is trust? I love this. In all the definitions and in, in Google searches and everything you could find, I did find a trust definition that I think is probably the best. This by a gal named Brene Brown. Wrote, writes a book called Daring Greatly. It says this, trust actually is identified by this. Trust is choosing to make something that you feel is important vulnerable to the action of someone else. Trust is choosing to make something that you find vulnerable or important, making it vulnerable to somebody else. Trust is simply saying, I have something that I'm vulnerable about and I, 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 I entrust it to you. I, I, I make myself vulnerable to you. God, I, here's my life and I, I make myself vulnerable to you. Lord, Lord here's my things and I, I make myself vulnerable to you. God, here's my service and I make myself vulnerable to you. What about in relationship to each other? Honey, here's my life. I make myself vulnerable to you by saying I do. That's trust. Trust is when you do that, right? Trust is when you make yourself, you know what mistrust is? When you make yourself vulnerable to somebody and then they hurt you with it. Here's the crazy thing is we live in a world of more mistrust than ever before as far as I can tell. Mistrust, I'm telling you, man, if, the, the crazy thing is, is every single one of us has an experience of mistrust somewhere in our life. To us or from us. In fact, we've all done both. Where we said something and didn't follow through, where we were mistrustworthy. Some of us have been hurt and violated. So, some people in our lives have, have had these crazy things. It doesn't take long to look at some professional career to find somewhere, somewhere where there's been mistrust, a lie, a broken promise, somewhere else, and mistrust all over the place. Can I tell you, there, there, there may be here you today, you are here today or listening to us online or watching us, and I can tell you this. If you are walking through the pain of mistrust in your life, first of all, I'm really glad you're here. If you're walking through and limping through life with the pain of mistrust and trying to prop yourself up with all kinds of things to make everything look all right, first of all, you're completely normal. You're absolutely normal. You're not alone. You're not all by yourself. You're not the only one. But I'm really glad you're here. I'm really glad you're watching or listening to us. I'm really glad. You know why? Because I believe the only way that you're going to find true freedom and healing is in Jesus. He can restore that mistrust. Only him. There isn't a bottle or a pill or a relationship that's going to take that away. Only Jesus. If you really want to find healing in that place where you were broken and, and trust was broken and violation happened, all that stuff that you are hurt from, if you ever, you, you can talk to yourself until you're silly or you can at some point say, I trust you, Jesus, and allow him to heal you. But isn't that the kicker? If you want to develop trust, you have to, like, trust. Isn't that just the crazy thing? In order to get past mistrust, you actually have to trust. 
That's frustrating because you're like, no, God, let me just do a little something else so that I can learn to trust. But just like in our video, when he says, no, 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 we've got to start with this. Remember, fall back. And so many of us are like the first step, you know, when she just kind of falls back this way, right? Because, it, because we kind of want to have control of our fall. We want to make sure that we're not really going to get hurt because we've been hurt. But I can tell you, man, if you're here, I'm glad. Because you can find healing in Jesus if you allow him. But it's your choice when you're ready. Trust. Why does the enemy not want us to learn trust? Why is it such a big deal that the devil wants to mess with trust in our life? Why is it that's such a big deal? I mean, can't he just say, like, I don't like you because you look like God, act like God, or a son or daughter of God, and that's enough? But why does he want us to, like, not trust? Why is that such a big thing for him to try to break and mess up and all that? Because trust is the cornerstone of every relationship. Trust is the foundation stone, and he knows that. He knows that if he can mess with trust in your life, just the concept of trust, not even specifically about your trust with God, but trust in general, trust in politicians, trust in pastors, trust in husbands or wives or children, trust in fathers, whatever. I mean, if he can just break one of those things, he can mess with a bunch. Man, he's done a good job. But if you can develop and rebuild the bond of trust and allow God to heal that bond of trust and, and restore the bond of trust in Jesus and figure out who he really is. Oh, he don't want you to do that. Because if you could, let me tell you what you're capable of. Anything. Because in Christ, there's nothing that you can stop from doing. God's capable through you. Why? Because you trust him with all that you are. There isn't a giant that can't be slayed when you say, God, I trust you with all that I am. That's what you hear me say when I, when I invite people to come into a relationship with Jesus. Rarely do I say, invite Jesus into your heart. Though that makes sense. More often I say, surrender your heart to him. Because that's harder. We'd like to have him come into our world and do things my way and be little Jesus in my pocket. Instead of me jumping into his world and saying, God, here's completely me. And surrendering it all. That's painful. Hmm. So what are the, uh, some of the anatomy of trust? If we were to take trust and, and, and break it up, what are some of the truths about trust? First truth about trust is this, that trust is like a muscle. Trust is like a muscle. You've heard me say that a bunch of times. You've heard people up here say that. Trust is like a muscle. Now, something about muscles that you would know, obviously, is that um, muscles either grow or they atrophy. Right? Muscles either grow or they atrophy. Muscles don't remain. They either grow or they atrophy. Atrophy means they shrivel up, they shrink, whatever. I remember my son, he played college football. And uh, I remember when he called me up and he was, uh, he was done with football. He, wasn't, uh, he hadn't finished all four years, but he said, listen, Dad, I think I'm just done. I played my years of football. I tried it in college. I liked it. It was fun and all, but I'm done. I'm done playing football. And I said, are you sure you're done? Now, remember, he was lifting lots of weights. He was, man, he's looking pretty good. And I said, buddy, okay, are you sure you're done? He said, Dad, I, I'm really done. I said, okay, but there's one thing I need you to do. He goes, what's that? I said, quickly, I want you to run into the bathroom, take your shirt off, and then snap a picture of yourself in the mirror. And he's like, why? I said, because it's never going to look this good again. <laughs> All downhill from here, brother. I'm telling you. He's like, you stink, right? So, because I said, you're going to stop lifting weights now. You're going to stop running and doing all that stuff. 
Your muscles are going to atrophy, right? Unless you make a choice to do something about it. You know what I'm talking about. But, but the truth is, it's the same way with trust. See, let me tell you this. Trust and mistrust, they're both a muscle. Whichever muscle you work out most grows biggest. Let me say that again. Does it hurt the first time? Trust and mistrust are most muscles. Whichever one you spend the most time in the gym with is the one that will grow the biggest. Whichever one you allow to, well, atrophy will shrink down and one will go bigger. Which muscle are you working out the most? Are you working out that trust muscle, that part of you that's like, God, I trust you. I'm stepping out in faith. I believe this, God, I'm gonna do. And and allowing God to grow that trust muscle because the truth about trust is it's a muscle and you get to work it out or, well, let it atrophy. Number two of something about trust. Trust is where love is birthed. Trust is where love is born. Trust is where love starts. Trust is where love takes its, its first step. I've told you this about love before, right? Love is when you simply give somebody, another person, somebody else, love is when you give somebody the ability to hurt you in one sentence or less. That's Lance's definition. Love is when you give somebody the ability to hurt you. Because that's like trust. Love is when you give, love is when you say to your, at that, that moment when I'm standing before people and doing their wedding vows and they say, oh yes I do, I promise, yes I do. Love is when you say, I give myself completely to you to be vulnerable. And when you do, maybe she doesn't do it back to you. Maybe only you did it with her. Maybe you never did it with each other and all you do is just live in the same zip code and that's about it. Maybe the nature of your marriage is two humans living in this. What if God wanted to really like develop love in you together and your marriage would become the marriage? I want you to know it's not too late. God can do anything. But maybe that's the problem. Your love has been a contract where you shook hands on it and that's about what it's been. But let me tell you this. Trust is where love is birthed. Trust is where love starts. Trust is where that point of which you say, I give myself completely to you, vulnerable, and now you can hurt me because you know me. Some of us are so afraid of relationship because you have been hurt. You've given yourself out there. You've done things, so you've held back. Let me tell you this. I heard that that phrase. I was thinking about this morning. I better have loved and lost than not loved at all. I I can just tell you this. It hurts. I don't know who wrote that, but somebody who's never been lost, I guess. Because it hurts. It hurts to be loved in love and then sit it out there and somebody just take advantage and hurt you. Come on. Right? And so some of us just curl up and don't do anything about it. God didn't make you like that. He made you to love. He made you to love. Hmm. Number three, truth about trust. Truth about trust. Trust is where relationships grow or fall apart. Trust is where relationships grow or fall apart. You either build trust or you build mistrust. Hmm. Listen to this. If we never learn to trust, Jesus will always remain at some sort of distance in our mind. If we never learn to trust, then Jesus will always feel like he's at a distance. See, maybe that's the relationship we have with Jesus, and you've been wondering, why do you still feel so far away, God? Why do you feel like you're always somewhere at church in someone else's life, but not in mine? Maybe because you haven't trusted him. You haven't grown trust. I, 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 as, I, as I've been working through this idea of trust, there's a passage of Scripture I want you to turn to in Proverbs. Open your Bibles, Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, I think it's one, it's not all the best, but it's one of the best passages on trust that I find in the Bible. 
It's really about a man, Solomon, who was the wisest man who walked the planet. And, and he, wise man, he's talking to his son, and he says, listen, son, there's some things you really need to know. And so he's beginning to unpack this idea of trust, and he tells him a few things about what trust really is. I love this. Proverbs chapter 3. It says this. It says, my child, never forget the things I've taught you. Store my commands in your heart, for they will give you long and satisfying life. Never let loyalty and kindness get away from you. Wear them around, wear them like a necklace, write them deep within your heart. Then you'll find both God and then you'll find favor with both God and people, and you will gain a good reputation. Now, in verses one through four, really, Solomon is just kind of basically an intro to his boy, like, listen up. It's really what he's saying. I could say it in a few words. He's trying to talk to his son. He says, listen, listen up, son. I'm about to tell you something that you're going to wear around like a necklace, that you're going to make a big deal. Trust me, what I'm about to say is loaded with importance. And so he goes on right here, and he says in verse 5, something that you, many of you are familiar with. It says in verse 5 of chapter 3, he says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do, and he will direct your path. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn your back on evil. Then you will gain renewed health and vitality. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the best part of everything in your land that your land produces. Then he will fill your barns with grain, and your vats will overflow with the finest wine. I love this. Psalm is talking about this bond of trust that Paul was talking about in Colossians. And Psalm, as he's talking to his son, it's like this foreshadowing of what was about to come. And Psalm is going like, listen, trust is a big deal in the Old Testament. Trust is a real big deal in the New Testament. Trust is a big deal today. I love it. Even in your Bibles, maybe your Bibles don't show it, but the word L-O-R-D in this proverb right here in Hebrew, it's capitalized. I don't know if it's capitalized in yours. I'm not sure. It's capitalized up there as well. The reason it's capitalized wasn't because the writer was mad and he's yelling at people. This is all caps. Get it. Lord. And I wasn't trying to do that, right? You know why it's in all caps. It's because it actually references the word Yahweh. And the word Yahweh just simply means the promised keeping one. The promise keeper. The one that makes a promise and keeps it. I love the fact that our Bibles even jump out with Lord. <laughs> Trust in the promise keeper. Trust in the one who says what he'll do and does what he says. Psalm is talking to his son and he says, this is God. He doesn't play around. Trust him. It says that a couple of times in this proverb. Now when you read that in your Bible, I want you to know that's what he's saying. This is really Lord. Even that song we sing, you are Lord of all. That idea, right? He is Lord, or he's Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. all right, here we go. I love what Solomon says. He says four things on how to rebuild the bond of trust that Paul is talking about. How do you rebuild the bond of trust? Paul says these four things. First thing he says is this. He says, don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. And honor God with your stuff, your money, your wealth. Hmm. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom and honor God with your wealth, the first part of your wealth. Hmm. I love it. Let's break these down a little bit. He says, if you're going to build the bond of trust, if you're going to build the bond of trust, rebuild the bond of trust, establish trust that's been broken, develop trust where there's been mistrust. If you want to do that, here's the things that you need to do. He says this, first of all, don't depend on your own understanding. Translation, stop trying to figure everything out. 
Stop trying to figure everything out. Stop trying to come to the point where everything has to make sense. Because if you can figure everything out, then, then, you, then you don't even need faith. Right? You ever heard that phrase, blind faith? We've heard that before, right? Don't step out in blind faith. I just wonder sometimes if there's any other kind. Faith or you're just looking and calling it faith. Right? Stepping out in faith is literally stepping out into something you can't see, believing in somebody who does. Stop trying to figure everything out. He says, don't depend on your own understanding. In other words, stepping out in trust. Trust is when you step into something that you, don't, you can't completely put your, wrap, your hands around. Well, that's dumb, Lance. Why would you do that? <laughs> he says, trust in the Lord and don't depend on your own understanding in him. He's never going to hurt you. He's never going to let you down. He's never going to not keep his promise. He says, don't depend on your own understanding. Why? Because our own understanding is limited. Remember, our own understanding, we're like, to God, we're like, our, we're like kids playing in the sandbox of life, losing our minds because somebody took our shovel. Come on, that's what we are. Compared to God's looking at us going like, it's a shovel, relax. We're like, no, it's my shovel. That's my car, stop it. You know, it's like we lose our minds over that, and God goes, it's a shovel, I'll give you another one. Stop, you know, because and, and, we look at kids in a sandbox and we're like, look, they're fighting over the, the, the silly bucket. And we're like, we're that to God. He's like, stop depending on your own understanding because it's just a bucket. It's just a shovel. It's just a car. It's just a house. He said, stop depending on, it's just, your, it's, it's just some sort of false identity you're making up. And he comes in and says, stop depending on your own understanding, but to trust him. Stop trying to figure everything out. The second thing about trust, he says here, Solomon says, as he says, seek his will in all that you do. Seek his will in all that you do. What does that mean? Listen to God's voice instead of your own. Listen to God's voice instead of your own. Or, or the other voices that are all around you. He says, listen, seek his will in all that you do. Stop trying to make sense of all this stuff and, and trying to listen to all the voices that are around you telling you what you need to do to keep up with the Joneses or telling you what you need to do to be happy. He said, don't lean on your own understanding and listen to his voice, not your own. Now this next one, he says this. To rebuild the bond of trust, not only do we need to not depend on our own understanding, seek his will in all that we do, but the third one, he says this. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Translation, don't be a know-it-all. Don't be a know-it-all. If you're going to build trust, don't be a know-it-all because you make yourself bigger than God and that doesn't look very good. And you act like you know everything, right? You, you just, you become a know-it-all. So let me get this right. To rebuild the bond of trust, he says not to depend on our own understanding, to seek his will in all that we do, and don't trust our own wisdom or be a know-it-all. That's what he says, right? Those three things. And then there's this fourth one where he says, and honor the Lord with your wealth, or the first part of all your stuff you got. Translation, honor God with your money. Honor God with the things you got. Honor him, Right? Here's the thing I don't understand. Like, like I listen to these three, and I'm thinking, okay, God, I get it. Not my understanding. Seek your will, and my wisdom's goofy. I get those three. I understand. But what in the world is money doing in that list? What is money doing in there that just seems like it's out of place? Just seems like, why would you put that in there, Solomon? <laughs> why, why, why? Solomon, who, who owned more than anything. The guy was loaded, and he's talking to his son, and he says, trust God with your wealth. Why is that in the same column of criteria with which is used to rebuild trust? Because we're weird about money. We get hung up about money. 
We get too freaky about money. We're so afraid that because money's the thing that's going to make me make it in life. Money's the thing that's going to make me secure. Money's the, well, money's the, because I understand money. I understand it. I have it. I use it. I win. Uh, you know what? I can see what's going on with money. I can see it, right? I know exactly where money's going because if I have it, I can do, but if I don't, I won't. In fact, with money, I, I'm really smart with money. I can tell you I'm a smart guy. I can make good decisions with money. I get a better credit rating. I get all the things because I, I have money. I got all this stuff. In fact, quite frankly, I think, honestly, between, this is my own version of this. I think Solomon could have just started with money and said, listen, you want to learn how to build trust with God? Start there. And then you'll learn how to not trust with your own understanding. Then you'll seek his will in all that you do. And you're not going to be a know-it-all. Start with your money. Why? Look at your reaction that's going on in your head right now. Why that? And here's the crazy thing. This is the absolute crazy thing. This is what the devil does. It's so wicked. This is how he works, even in me. Let me tell you. So, so Polly and I, we're, we just sold our house out in Graham. And thank Jesus, it sold. And we actually made a little bit of money. Not a lot, trust me. But, <laughs> but we made some, right? So pretty happy about that. And, and so... I tithe. I tithe off of my paycheck, just like you guys would, right? I tithe just to our church, just like you do. I trust Jesus with 10% of my income. Hallelujah. I'm not just talking about it. I actually believe it, right? And everybody on my church council, my church staff, they all tithe too. It's a requirement. I tell them, if you're going to talk about trust, you better do it, right? And so I have them all doing it too. So get this. I tithe. So last night, I'm at home, and I'm like, Okay, so the thing, they're supposed to sign the paperwork tomorrow, Monday. And they're supposed to fund, I think, Tuesday, right? So that means the money will be in our bank on Tuesday or something, Wednesday, I don't know. But it'll be there. First thought. I wonder if I should have to tithe on that. I wonder if I should tithe. It's not really the income. I mean, you know, it's an investment, but it's not really, you know, because that's not my job, you know. It's, not, it's Dave's job, not my job, you know what I mean? So, right, and I think about that. That's crazy, can you imagine? Like, I'm talking about trust, and I have that thought. Put yourself up here for a minute. I'm talking about trust, and I'm questioning that. That's the way the devil works. He immediately, are you kidding? I went home to Polly, and I said, hey, Polly, I couldn't even finish the sentence. And she goes, of course we're tithing. <laughs> off there, right? I was like, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> Come on. Just being honest with you. Here's the question. Do you got someone in your life saying that? Are you allowing yourself to be held back from trust by money? Is that the thing that's standing in the way of your relationship to Jesus growing and deepening? Can I just be honest with you? Stop it. It's affecting more than you think it's affecting. I mean, it's just true when Omar stands up here and he goes, hey, you know, if you give, God will give back. I mean, what he says, right? What did he say? When you trust me with my money, what did he say? He said, your barns will overflow and your vats will be full. <laughs> my barns are full. My vats are overflowing. Our church, 